Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited to have George Siegel back on the show. As you may know, he and I were at the National Hurricane Conference back in April together. I invited him out to join me. He also has his own podcast, and so you're going to be talking about that a little bit today. Tell us how to make it better. So if you're not subscribed to his podcast, first and foremost, pause this real quick. Go check out Tell Us How to Make It Better. Subscribe. Because we're going to be talking about some of the guests he's been uh, having on the show. In fact, a really cool guest that relates to this episode for, I believe, next week. George can talk about that. George, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me back on. I, I thought after we spent time together, maybe you wouldn't want anything to do with me. But it, it was fun getting to know you better in, uh, in Orlando. And that was such an interesting conference. There was a lot of great stuff going on there. Yeah. It, you know, I've had a couple of people on the show. We, we had a mayor from Louisiana on the show. We've had uh, Greg Paget, who you met. Uh, he came on the show and talked about basically introduced hurricane season for us uh, just a couple weeks ago. So it's a uh, it's kind of this fun opportunity as we're getting to hurricane season, hitting these different points within the spectrum. We had, you know, mayor. Then we talked about weather, specifically a meteorologist. Now you as the you know director and producer of The Last House Standing, you have your own podcast, you talk about this stuff, and you get to answer some questions for me because I just bought a house. I'm closing this week, and I want to make sure that high wind events, that I'm not hosed, if that's uh, the right water term, hosed. Uh, so yeah, I just want to catch up on all good things. And you know, this to, just to start off, the National Hurricane Conference, having you out there, you know, for people who don't know, George and I have been kind of working together for a little while now, but because of like COVID life, we'd never met each other in person. And you were much taller than I thought you were. <laughs> well, when, when most people, when they're sitting down, aren't, aren't as tall, but uh, yeah. it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was so interesting to see what is going on behind the scenes, what people are planning and preparing for hurricane season, mm. because there are so many things that go on that we don't know about until we need them. And then you're glad that people were preparing for him. I mean, that's definitely right. And there's a third guy with us too, um, Nat Sellers. He, in fact, he started a podcast and he quickly changed the name. And I like the name. It's Preparedness Works. So make sure you check that out too. But the three of us, we just had a blast. The, the funny thing is, Nat has focused a lot on preparedness. I focused a lot on response. But you've looked at it almost like from a journalism perspective, a documentary about uh different hurricanes and this amazing looking home the last house standing that dealt with like a category five hurricane when you go to that conference and you see the emergency managers working on these different problem sets uh, you kind of highlighted it but in terms of like an outside perspective what are your like positives and what are your like oh man there's some definitely some gaps that we we need to address here that the emergency managers are talking about that the general public isn't really hearing about well, I, I believe there's a lot of things they talk about that we do never hear about and then until maybe we need them. So I'm all about proactive thinking and planning. It's like, what can we do to prevent the disaster? Now, if they are doing things there in that area, the, the public doesn't hear about them. When you get a bunch of industry people sitting around talking, they all can pat themselves on the back and say, hey, we're doing a great job. We're doing this. We're doing that. But if nobody knows about it, then I, I don't know how much value that holds. And mm. so it has to translate forward. What I saw, though, were a lot of people that really cared about their jobs, that wanted to learn more and be on top of their game to, to help people. I mean, you have to care about people and helping to, to be in that field. 
And I was just really impressed by that. But in terms of getting the message out, I, I don't think, you know, even when I talk to uh, Brock Long, the uh, former FEMA director or people in the industry, it's kind of like a fraternity where you don't know what everybody outside the fraternity, they don't, they don't know about you. You're a well-kept secret. And I think it needs to, the word needs to get out there more. Yeah. We had this uh, conflict and you kind of bridged the gap with your documentary um, because you're media and we're kind of podcasters now. We're not kind of podcasters. We're podcasters. So we're kind of media. At least I call myself kind of media, even though I straight up am right. But there's so many emergency managers who are afraid to put the message out either they don't want like the bad press or they don't think people are going to be or going to listen and they don't really create a lot of friends on the media side but then you have you know your film and we talked about this about a year ago when you're on talking about your film the film does a, a phenomenal job just really hitting the pain points of the lack of preparedness and what it does for people and honestly like the the cost to benefit ratio is just so ginormous that uh, it, it shouldn't really be an issue. And so coming from almost like a media perspective, especially with all your interviews in that film, and now seeing like kind of, I'm quote unquote, the behind the scenes, that fraternity perspective, what, what would you say to emergency managers? What would be some tips that you say, hey, this is how you get your message out to the public? Well, I think you have to, you, know, you have to get in front of the media. You know, the media you, you always have to Get wonder, okay, yeah. what, what side of the media are you on there when you, when you throw that out there? But if you have a message, you have to make sure that, that people hear about it. If there's things we can do to make our houses safer, you need to let us know. Um, I don't need to just know that I'm in a flood zone. I need to know how my house might hold up in a disaster, what my weak points are, where the water's coming from. Mm. Um, am I going to evacuate? Am I not? You know, it's interesting. I always like it when there's a storm to kind of kick off hurricane season. And we had that here in Florida last week. My family, we went, we all went down to Sanibel, Florida, which is an island about two and a half hours south of, of Tampa. And they got about six or seven inches of rain, maybe up to eight inches of rain. And you could see where all the water was standing the entire week that the water was high. And then you see what that water did in Miami and parts of South Florida where they had all kinds of flooding. This, when it hit land, I don't think it was even a tropical storm. I think it was a tropical depression. And it yeah. should slap you on the face and be a wake-up call about, okay, let me think about my vulnerabilities. What am I facing this season? But I think the exact opposite happens. I think people go, yeah, that was nothing. We got that rain. It moved on. It moved on. It didn't turn yeah. into a hurricane. And so it's, it's how you react to a situation that I think could determine how the rest of hurricane season goes for you. Are you going to take it seriously? Or are you going to go, eh, we missed another one. We're lucky. I think more, more people will do that. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue in collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Think you have what it takes? Join us in Atlanta for an immersive experience. 
Space is limited to 40. Go to the readinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. Yeah, I think that that's the, I mean, uh, so I, I'm going to plug your podcast one more time. Pete Gaynor and you were talking about that on your show several months ago where, you know, the, the, the culture of like, I don't want to prepare because it, it's like playing the lottery, right? Like you're, you, you just don't expect it. You don't want it to happen. Things like that uh, pass by. And so it, it is funny though. You compare when people do compare like quote unquote, just a rainstorm to like a cat for hurricane. You're like, do, do you really know the difference? maybe that's a that's a messaging thing i don't know but i i think it is important to kind of just suck it up get in front of the media a lot more if he, if you have a message and people aren't hearing it then you then you're not really helping the community that you desperately do want to help right well and, and it, to give you another example when we got back home there was just a rainstorm here in tampa last weekend and a lot of streets flooded it wasn't even, it was just, we got two or three inches and you see water up to the windows in cars in some areas. So people really need to take it seriously. And I think the scene that we used in the film that really sums up how I think people think is from the world according to Garp with uh, Robin Williams, where he's looking at a house with his family. Mm. And while they're standing there outside, a plane crashes into the house <laughs> and Garp looks at his wife and goes, honey, we'll take the house. And she goes, are you kidding? And he goes, do you realize the odds of a plane ever hitting this house again? They're astronomical. And I think that's what people think. It's like, okay, if a disaster just kind of blows by us, we're not going to get another one. Well, look at Louisiana last year. Four named storms rocketed them. And yeah. as my guest next week, you kind of alluded to it, um, Ilya Azarov talks about just because you say a one in a hundred year flood, hundred year flood, that doesn't mean anything. He goes in the span of a 30 year mortgage you could have four disasters or it's like a 30 or 40% chance that you're going to get hit by a disaster during yeah. that time. So the statistics are very uh, misleading in what might be coming your way. And, and that's why people need to take it more seriously. Well, we have, we also have, uh, we have these problems of like terminology. I've been focusing a lot on the show, a hundred year flood. That's not, it's not a hundred year flood. It's not a hundred year flood flame. It's a 1% chance like annually so yeah of course in a 30-year mortgage you have a 30 percent chance in a in a 500-year flood again not five it's not going to happen once every 500 years that's what people think it's a 0.02 so it's people just uh, we have a terminology that people think oh there was a flood here 10 years ago but it's a hundred year floodplain so i guess i have another you know, 90 years or 100 years, 110 years before it's going to happen again, 90 years. Jeez. Yep. Uh, and the same thing with a 500-year flood plane. Well, I'm only going to be alive for 50, 60 more years. So I guess, you know, I'm totally fine. And they don't think about that consequence. And then you have the other problem with climate change and climate adaptation. And big storms are happening a lot more often. Uh, people can argue much as much as they want with me about that. I've gone to multiple record-breaking events year after year, and that that shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't have to break the record every year of these big uh, big events, and so uh, we have to we have to look at that as well. Of course, you know. Well, what we're seeing is storms intensify quicker. You know, that's what happened with Hurricane Michael in the film. It was a Category Two when people went to bed, and and they've survived Category Twos before. They figured, ah, I'm a Floridian. This is nothing. And then it spun into a category five and nobody was prepared for that. And so 
that's the scary thing about climate change, however you think about it. And, and you could sit there and talk to some people who'll say, oh, this happened 500 years ago and it's cyclical. It just happens every so often. That doesn't matter. It's what's happening now and how it's affecting us. I don't care about what happened 100 years ago or what's going to, you know, I, I care about what's happening now. And am I prepared for it? Okay, so let's talk about what's happening now and am I prepared for it? So I just bought a house. I did all my due diligence. Uh, I did a hazard vulnerability assessment. I looked at crime rates. I looked at past tornado events. You know, I live in Missouri. I looked at floodplain. I looked at everything, right? That being said, you live in the Midwest, you're going to have high wind events. And hurricanes, of course, are high wind events that produce hur or tornadoes in themselves. And so somebody who is talk talked with people and are currently talking to people about retrofitting homes and what you could do about homes can you kind of just go through the whole spectrum first with my kind of scenario where if you're already a home homeowner what can you do to protect that home and then walk it down to new construction and you know you you just talked about it but um like what what you need to think about when you're looking at building a home well first off do, do you or any of your neighbors have a safe room or storm cellars. I don't know Missouri as well as uh, Oklahoma or parts of Texas or mm. Kansas. I mean, do you have that kind of safety net should everything else go bad? Because you can have all the preparation in the world, but if a EF5 tornado barrels down on your house, it really doesn't matter. You're, that's just the day you want to have that. So do you have anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think most homes in Missouri, because they have basements, either have some kind of room in the basement or a, a, a maybe a bathroom, at least something that they have in the basement. I kind of go above and beyond. But uh, yeah, I think every home should have something like that. I think okay, in Oklahoma, so they, they put their they put their storm shelters uh, like you can put it in the bottom of a garage, right? I think that's yeah, where... some people have them in the garage. To me, that's that made me nervous because if the house collapses, how are you getting out of there? I know. I kind of like the ones in the backyard, but they're a little, they're not as attractive. You kind of have to landscape around them. Yeah. Um, but you want to have something. And there's a lot of people in Oklahoma that don't. I know. That's so scary. Like, um, more Oklahoma. I mean, getting hit so many times. And it took what? It took like three or four F EF3 tornadoes or f4 tornadoes to go through finally when they started updating their building code it's yeah. like and people still build there and don't put in a storm shelter and you think like it says it's that mentality right that that plane just hit the house so can it absolutely hit again but yeah it can because weather repeats itself you know? well people are strange about how they spend their money so the person who might not want to spend three three thousand or four thousand dollars on a storm cellar might uh have a really nice satellite dish or take the family camping or go on a trip that might cost them $5,000. So you can factor that into a, a, a loan over a long period of time, but you have to be thinking, what do I want to do to know that I can keep my family safe? And I, I'm just amazed by the percentage of people that don't. And, and you mentioned they changed the building code. Um, one of the builders we interviewed in the film said, if they didn't, but they said this technology exists to build homes safer. He thought most people would rather have granite countertops than build the safer house. Yet they found that by making the garage safer, by doing different bracketing from the walls to the ceiling and how they attach everything, that houses can survive if they're not in the bullseye path of mm -hmm. the tornado. So the tornado comes and, and right where the bullseye is, you're in trouble. 
But as you start fanning out a little distance on each side of the tornado, that's where a lot of damage was also occurring. And they've seen that that's dramatically reduced by, by building better. But builders, they still needed them to change the code. I, I think a builder that cared about what they were building, and I know there's a lot that do, would just want to build a safer house because they could, they could market that. They could live off of that saying, we care about your safety. You know, one of the things I talked about with my with with Ilya for next week, I think builders build homes knowing they're not going to last or, or some do. We don't want to say all of them, but yeah. it's like, you know, this this will last until a storm hits and then they'll call us and we'll come out and fix it. And I, I just wish they had a different mentality. I wish houses were like cars. Let's get a five star crash rating on this thing. Let's have all the airbags and bells and whistles. So you're as safe as possible there. But I guarantee you, most people don't even know what's behind the walls of their house other than maybe McDonald's wrappers and beer cans. Um, they have no idea. So when we talk about your house and you had your inspections, what kind of inspection? Did a guy go up in the attic and see, is there uh, foam sprayed in there to, to help create an envelope in the, in, in the roof of the house? How are the walls bracketed um, in terms of flooding? What's the drainage? How's that water going to get in and out if it, if it hits your house? If that's not done properly, the the walls can collapse and then you then you've lost everything so there's yeah. a lot of steps that you need to do and of course the number one thing that anybody can do right now after they've listened to this podcast is look at your insurance do you have the right insurance and don't just read it yourself you're not an insurance most people aren't insurance agents call your agent ask yeah. them to explain the coverages that you have what are your deductibles some people to save money have a very high deductible on their roof and then their roof gets damaged in a storm and they got to come up with 30 or $40,000 out of pocket to fix their roof. Well, those, you might've been able for a few hundred bucks to avoid that. Those 10% uh, deductibles on insurance is, is so disheartening when you hear about those. Because if you have a three or $400,000 home, which is uh, I think the medium home value right now, and a roof is twenty to $30,000, your whole roof system could get ripped off and then think, oh, thank goodness I have insurance. Oh, just kidding. You're out of pocket for that, and yeah. and what's the what's the cost difference on a ten percent versus five five percent? It's it's actually really little, but people try to save money as much as they can because they they think oh I have to have it because my mortgage requires it, and they don't really think about what's in the policy, but they're paying for something that essentially could be useless. Uh, yeah, and we're talking about roofs. I mean, basically, if you can keep the roof on top of a home in a tornado, you keep the roof, you keep the home together, right? I mean, as soon as that that roof starts to peel off, it goes in there, and it's like it just implodes from from the inside out, right? That's as far as I understand how tornadoes operate. Well, so. there's there's the roof, there's the garage door, which mm. can can be a big problem when the door blows in, and that's one of the things in more that they made safer is the garage door, and then the front door. A lot of people have those double doors that open into the house. Well, that's inviting for your guests, but it's also inviting for the wind to blow your door open. Interesting. And so you want to make sure that, you know, you can buy these. Um, we bought one of them for our house. It's um, a uh, Keflar. It's like I think it's made out of Keflar blanket. And they put the screws in the holes around the door frame. And you can screw that on if there's a hurricane or, you know, with a tornado, oh. you're not going to have time to prepare for that. But that can make the difference between losing your house and not losing your house. So there's so many things that people can do. But they don't. And, and like we were just talking about insurance, you know, it's that false sense of, well, I have a policy. You know, I know people on medical insurance that because medical insurance can be just crippling for people cost wise. 
Yeah. Um, they'll take out a $10,000 deductible and they'll, you know, the insurance isn't going to kick in, but at least, you know, what your cap is, you know, okay, I'm going to have to come up with $10,000 if I get really sick. They, most people don't know they're going to have to come out 30 or $40,000 for their roof. Yeah. And, and, and I also, we interviewed people who had no mortgage because they had a legacy house that's been in the family for years. So they didn't have any insurance on it or they had it way underinsured. That house that your family built for $100,000 50 years ago might cost you $2 million to rebuild today. Yeah. So you really need someone to explain it to you because that can be a, a life-altering experience when, when the big storm hits. Here's a, here's what I was talking about, the, t- talking to the agent. I'm like, hey, we obviously don't live in a flood zone, but what would flood insurance cost? Because I want to get that. I started walking through uh, you know, the, the state sets earthquake minimums uh, for here in Missouri has like the largest liquefaction zone in the United States. And so I'm like, okay, hey, and it wasn't part of the natural uh, insurance policy. I'm like, why is, it insur- why is an earthquake insurance included in this? I live in an earthquake zone, you know, uh, you know, New Madrid. And so we were talking about that. And so we started talking about the basement. And I, I feel like I'm fairly knowledgeable on insurance. One, because randomly enough, I sold insurance like 15 years ago. And so I understand a little bit about insurance. But one thing that surprised me when I was talking to the ins- a home insurance agent, he was like, hey, you know, when you finish your basement, we have an unfinished basement that we're buying and we're going to finish it out. He's like, even if you do that, even if you put egress, you make it all square footage, we don't replace any of the, the flood damage uh, from what's actually in the basement. All the stuff. Like you can get your stuff replaced in other parts of the house, but your stuff does not get replaced they'll replace like drywall they'll replace uh some of the some of the electrical some of the utilities but they won't replace the stuff because they think it's so likely that it's going to flood anyways that it's just not worth it for them to to replace your stuff in the basement and so it's like oh my gosh if i'm going to have valuables i don't want to put it in the basement but if i have a tornado i want to put it in the basement so it's like this conflict of of interest here but basically it comes down to knowing what you're buying and if you buy doing everything you can to mitigate that move water away from the home keep that roof on top of the home i like the idea of the uh the um uh the door the front door in fact that's a new one for me as well so there's lots of things to do you said the first place you should go to is understanding your insurance if you're listening to this podcast and you're like okay I know my insurance policy. What next? Do you have almost like a checklist, four or five things that they, people can just go down right now? They're like, okay, I should check this out with my house. What can they do? Well, you know, b- before we run down that list, I have to, I have to tell you something that I learned the hard way about a basement. When, when I lived in Detroit, we had a sump pump in our basement because wa- I don't know if you have one or not, but because yeah. of the water flow and water flowing around the house, and where do you store your most valuables? You go, I have a basement, so I'm going to keep all my boxes in a room down there. And the sump pump broke one night. Mm. And we had a couple feet of water in our basement, ruined everything. Nothing was covered except the carpeting and the drywall, like you said. Um, yeah. But water wicks up the walls and damages the drywall pretty high up. The company that came in and you know maybe they've improved, but at the time, ServPro they could have cared less about our damaged stuff. It came back dirtier than when they took it out of the house. <laughs> and all the tapes I had from my early illustrious careers years in broadcasting were damaged and destroyed. So it was really sad. It can be a, a real big problem. 
So now getting back to what you were talking about with the with the list. Okay, number one is insurance. You, you had a home inspection. So mm. what did that inspection reveal? A lot of times an inspection might reveal your windows are out of date. And that if you put in windows or to code, you might save a lot on your um, uh, utility bills. But there could also be the things that you check off and improve. Coordinate that with insurance. If I have better windows, if I have different features around my house that are safety features, am I going to save money for it? You know, spraying foam in the attic is a huge one that we learned in making the last house standing because that can tighten the envelope of a house. It mm -hmm. helps you if there's a water leak. It helps you if there's high wind. Um, you know, other things to inspect, if you want to see how your roof is bracketed to the walls and everything, sometimes they have to cut into that mm. to see it. Some things aren't easy to do, but you don't want the, just the typical home inspector that the realtor gives you a list of 10 guys to come out. You want to get somebody that's a wind expert. You know, what, what the experts in our film are saying, it's not so expensive to get these individual inspectors, but you might want to know how your house would hold up in strong wind. You might want to know... Um, how your attic is vented, you know, if, if there's a fire danger, how can those embers get inside your attic? Um, mm -hmm. What are the vents that are on your garage? A lot of, I don't know the Midwest that well. Um, I know here in Florida, um, before we did the film, I noticed everybody had those screen mesh uh, things on their garage doors. Oh, yeah. And I, I would look at that and I would go, okay, well, that's what the builder put there. The builder saved money on that one big time because they probably bought those for a dollar at Home Depot and in a flood, the first thing that will happen is debris will blow against that, push up against it, and your house could collapse because that's oh not gosh. what you need. So we had um, floodproofing.com uh, guys um, were, were in the film, and they said, you need these vents that open and close. So you, you're conceding letting the water in, but you're also conceding letting the water out. Your garage will, will get damaged, but your house won't get destroyed. Yeah, and now I'm seeing them all over the neighborhood. People are starting to use those and, and builders are putting them in. Um, I think you have to assume. Yeah. What's that? So things are improving. They are. They slowly. And I, I think you have to assume when your builder looks at a cost analysis sheet, they're saying, where can I save money? And I could go yeah. through those in any house I've ever lived in and told you how that came back to bite me in the end because they saved money in that particular area. Yeah. So you need to know and we have it on uh, thelasthousestanding.org, a, a list you can download of, of things you should ask your builder if you're building a house. And you probably offer that kind of information too, just in terms of things you should educate yourself for. Don't just get sucked into the fact that the schools are good. It's close to a park. Um, your kids can play in the backyard. You have to drill down. Um, Roy Wright, uh, one of the experts we had in the last house standing said, walk around the neighborhood, talk to people that have lived there for a long time, learn the history of the neighborhood. The problem is the real estate market is so competitive that you feel you're rushed to buy something. Oh yeah. I mean, on the market. our house, the house that we were going to buy was uh, on the market for three days. When we, I mean, luckily for us, we'd already done our due diligence. And so we knew exactly where we wanted to go, but we we've had we've had friends who bought houses sight unseen, which to me is just scary. But they mm -hmm. were like, "Hey, houses are in, in their market were going on for hours. By the end of day one, there would there would be off. There's so many offers on a house that they felt like they would just have to go. And um, you know that's that's been the housing market. Now I think it's slowing down a little bit. But who's causing that? That the people buying houses are doing that. The people selling houses are doing that. And so there's there's not a 
there's not a, a really great time. Now, of course, in the buying process, once you put an offer in, you have a certain amount of time to get inspections done and be able to pull Not back. anymore. Not A lot of people are saying no contingencies, no, no inspections. We didn't waive any contingencies. I can't. I think it should be against the law to waive contingencies. I, I think that's I so scary. But a lot of people are doing it and they're putting themselves into a situation that they could potentially, you know, have a major problem. Now, you're not going to mitigate everything. Things happen. You know, things that you, you could do things right. And for example, a sub pump breaks, you know, uh, things happen. And so they're there. Sometimes we get in this mentality of like, oh, I can I can stop all problems. I think what's better is to actually know what your real problems are and to where you can mitigate you. You should mitigate and to be aware that, uh, you know, there's a certain things that you'll have to deal with. I'll never have to deal with the volcano as far as I'm I, as far as I'm aware. But I do have to deal with tornadoes and flooding. That's kind of the big two things that I have to be you know, cognitive of. So I think it's also spending your money because it is a limited resource in the highest priority areas that, that you should you should focus on for sure. Well, what you end up doing is you're rewarding mediocrity. If you just settle for a house and allow somebody to pass their problem on to you without right. you being able to verify that it's a problem and then ask them to do something about it. And I've had this happen with friends and family that, that have bought a house and maybe it was missing something. And I would say, well, you should make the sellers put that in. And they go, no, because they're getting multiple offers on this house and I don't want to be difficult. I just want to close the deal. And then what happens is once they get in the house, they go, wow, I really needed that to be done. And now it's going to be expensive. So you're letting somebody pass their crap onto you. It's their garage sale and you're buying their garbage and then you're stuck living with it. And I think yeah. that's a huge mistake. It's a mistake. And it's all, like I said, again, it is actually scary. We were looking at a house in California in the process and we picked a house. We did the inspections. And as soon as we did the inspections, I was actually in there with the inspectors and the electrical looked weird. And so I was talking to the guy. And he's like, yeah, we're going to put in a report that the guy's done all of, all his own electrical and it's all bad. And we immediately backed out of that house. Now, thankfully, we didn't have to pay anything. But somebody else who might have might have waived that contingency got into the house and think, oh, my gosh, I have fire hazards all over the place. I have little kids. And again, my perspective, it should be illegal to get into a house without some kind of inspection process. There should be like a minimum 10 days for people to get inspections or something. Absolutely. And you, so you go, OK, who are the villains in this drama? OK, the obvious ones, the builders yeah. and realtors. Now, they're also business people, so we can't expect them to do everything for us, but it would be nice if the guy building the house, the man or woman building that house, actually laid stuff out for you and could show you things that could make the difference between your, your house surviving and not surviving. That would be nice. It's not going to always happen. Realtors, they're in the business of making money and trying to sell houses. Um, I don't, I, there's a lot of stuff I've had realtors not tell me about a neighborhood or not tell me uh, that I should have known. And that, so take those two things and then go, okay, so can I just sit there and cry about it and blame other people? No. Now you know it falls on you. You can't rely on them 100%. Know that going in. So you learn the neighborhood. You learn what the vulnerabilities are. You learn what the prospective uh, flood mitigation is for that neighborhood that maybe 10 years out that the realtor's not going to tell you that your house is going to be under 10 feet of water. But you don't, don't rely on that. And what I really hate, and that's part of my podcast, um, Tell Us How to Make It Better, is people that just complain about things. So we're sitting here talking about it, but I'm not 
complaining because I know I can't fix other people. So I blame myself. If I buy a crappy house, I blame me for making the bad decision. If I, I don't get the right inspections, well. if I don't have the right safety things, it's on me. That's right. And, and, and that's an excellent point. It, uh, we talked about that sometime on, on the show. As an emergency manager, or as a personal home owner, whatever it may be, ultimately the responsibility is on you to make sure you do things right. And, and uh, that comes from responding to a disaster or otherwise, right? So really great points. We were talking a lot about solutions today, talking about from insurance to finding wind inspectors to finding the right people to look at your house, to, to going through and making sure you're building your house uh, better than code in some places to make sure you have storm shelters. It was all about solutions in this episode. If you want to give one last shout out for tell us how to make it better, you're talking about solutions there. What is your next episode going to be on so people can check it out? Well, I have a woman who is the DIY queen, uh, Kara Newhart, who is, uh, she makes videos on Instagram and TikTok and has hundreds of thousands of people watch her videos on how to do simple projects around your house to make things better. Mm. And she was so interesting. And, and if you watch her videos on Instagram, you, you, it makes you want to dive in and try to do projects because they are doable and you don't always have to pay somebody a fortune you can get your hands dirty and do certain simple things. And that's her idea. She keeps it simple. So it's fascinating oh. to watch her. She's such a, a, a nice woman and, and is really interesting. And I hope people will check that out. And then next week is going to be Ilya um, Azarov, who's an architect and um, a forward-thinking genius. He says, I build houses so they'll last 50, 100 years out or buildings. We think towards what could happen in the future. And I think every builder I've ever been around is thinking about you know, five o'clock beer time. What, what do we do after work? They're, they're not so concerned about all those things. Mm -hmm. And, and so I want, I like that. I like people that say, okay, here's a problem. How can I make it better? What can I fix? What can I do? And, um, when people are like that, they're really interesting to listen to. So I hope people will check out the podcast. Um, I, I think they'll enjoy what they hear and they'll get some good information from it. You know, there's, we've had a lot of good guests in the past that, um, you can go back and listen to some of the episodes uh, uh, last week or the one that's, um, but I don't know when you're going to air this one. A woman has come up with an app that can be installed on your phone. So if somebody is bullying you or kidnapping you, there's a safe word. Your phone will start recording the, the and it'll send it to a person that you designate. Bullying is such a big deal in the world and kidnapping yeah. and child uh, and your kids are always in danger that this could be huge in saving lives. And I didn't even know about this. I came across her and go, wow, this is fascinating. So there's so many interesting people out there to talk to. And, and of course, one of my best guests early on was you. You were one of my first guests on there talking about all that you do. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of old episodes and a lot of really good ones coming up in the future. Uh, I will say, uh, if your safe word is banana hammock, it could be a kind of a weird word to throw into... <laughs> banana hammock what nothing don't worry about the banana hammock what, uh, what they encourage is use words like marshmallow oh or, there you go you know use a word that the person's not going to go if all of a sudden you yell out banana hammock they're probably going to take your phone away um so you really uh, don't want to lean in, lean in that direction but uh yeah. i just thought it was fascinating and you know another guy has an app that's for tells gluten-free people where they can eat meals you know there's a lot of cool things out there because Pro proactive problem solvers should be applauded and in, in, in especially in the building and construction industry. We need more heroes in that industry. 
Well, you know, that's a that's a good last uh, call out for emergency managers. I believe emergency managers are problem solvers in their own right. They look at complex situations. Yep. I really like the idea of uh, it's been a really uh, a truly a pleasure to both get to know you and to the other guests on the show because I bring on problem solvers. The Last House Standing, which you didn't bring up right now, but people should check it out if they haven't watched that film. TheLastHouseStanding.org, I believe. Um, you, you said going down those checklists, watching that film really hits home as an emergency manager. And you can see like what works, what what doesn't work, what forward thinking people are trying to do, what we should be doing and, and hitting home of that messaging. And so, again, George, thank you so much for coming out of this podcast, for talking to me uh, and, and just making it uh, an, an, an opportunity for people in both their professional and their personal lives to prepare a little bit better and to make things better. So thank you again for coming on the show. No, I appreciate it. And when people think I can't afford it, look at what the cost is of not doing it and mm -hmm. see how your life and your family's lives can be disrupted. And it'll make you realize it's money well spent to be as safe as you can right now. Money well spent, time well spent listening to this episode, talking with you. Everyone, if you like this episode, which you should have, you got to make sure to check out, tell us how to make a better podcast. Check out thelasthousestanding.org for that film that we just mentioned. We'll see you next week. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what you're doing to help out your community prepare for hurricanes and all kinds of different disasters, how you're working with the media. Check out our media, the Disaster Tough podcast, all across social media, and we'll see you for next week. <laughs> <laughs>